0: The husband and wife team of Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoît Nadeau shared what they discovered about how to speak French in their 2016 book called The Bonjour Effect. They're back with us today on Travel with Rick Steves after a book tour in France where the book has been translated into French. They join us now from the CBC studios in their home city of Montreal. Bonjour. 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 This is so fascinating that you write a book as Canadian French speakers, so you're fluent in French, but you're not actually French. How did that help you with your teaching mission of the book? You must have had a little more empathy with the rest of us tourists going to France who who may have learned some French language in school, but we might be clueless about the fine points.
1: Well, the funny thing is that that even though we speak French and, and I'm I'm and just to be clear, I'm not a native French speaker, I learned French in school as well. But even though we're fluent French speakers and very familiar with French culture, we still have these terrible misunderstandings with the French. And the origin of the book was to sort of get to the root of why we go expecting perfect communication and we want to indulge in, you know, the art of French conversation. And we get there, and it just doesn't work.
0: So for a French-speaking Canadian, you could fly to France thinking, yeah, I speak the language, and realize, oh, but I don't speak the culture.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
2: and, and even for me, because I, my, my mother tongue is French, but my culture is not French from France.
0: So what's, what's an example of a, a surprise when you finally do get to France, and you realize,
2: oh, I guess I'm not quite as fluent as I hope well, to be. The French say uh, no all the time for anything. It's their default answer. In North America, and that's true for French Canadians, we tend to take a no for a no. Right. For the French, they say no sometimes just because they, they're afraid of making a mistake, so they prefer saying no. Because for the French, contrary to North Americans, being liked is not that important to them. It's not being at fault that matters. So oh. saying no is the, the right thing to say. In the case of the French, it's uh, often for fear of, of ridicule. Mm-hmm. For example, not knowing. Not knowing in France is ridiculous. Uh, you're supposed to know. So th- if they don't know, their default answer is no, because it's their anti-ridicule shield that uh, they put in front of them.
1: But the important thing for, you know, travelers to understand is that, that no is, for the French, doesn't normally mean, you know, the conversation is over. I mean, they say it all the time. So it's
0: the beginning of a discussion it's about this. It's just the beginning
1: of a discussion, and, and so it's up to you to sort of pull up your pants and... Keep trucking and keep keep okay. talking to them until you get whatever you
0: want. So can I check out of the room at one o'clock instead of noon? No. Well then you talk about it a little bit, huh? Then exactly. you talk
1: and, and eventually, you know, if they're gonna change their mind, they'll change their <laughs> mind. It's just
0: they had a chance to, to sort of creep into the reality that they might bend the rules for you.
1: You're,
2: exactly. You right. explain your situation. You, you, it works that way in some hotels, and it's yeah. okay. And then, yeah. and then, and sometimes they relax. Sometimes it's no, it's no yeah. because it's not possible. And you get that answer in the United States as well. But you They're, should
1: expect it to start with no.
2: I get the sense
0: that the French just like to discuss and even debate things. I mean, consensus is kind of boring. Let's
2: talk about it. Let's let's spice it up. Oh yeah, <laughs> and the a conversation with them. You know, it's a story that Julie likes to to tell that we were at the supper and we were very North American. We were very polite. So Mm -hmm. we were giving our point of view as Quebecers and, you know, being polite and being nice. At one point, Julie realizes that you know we're it, boring we're boring yeah so she, she produces an enormity the discussion was about Art Deco and she says oh I think Art Deco is fascist you know, just like that then <laughs> they look at us and they say oh yes and they love
1: it and you know it just takes off like a bonfire and the conversation gets rolling but if you you know behave yourself and you're too yes. polite and too agreeing too much looking for consensus and sharing things and stuff they find that dull and the
0: traveler is inclined to be polite and, and kind of mm. boring just because they, they don't want to make a faux pas and they just they want to be agreeable.
2: But in, in France, they, the way their education is at school and in the family is that they value a lot what they call uh, culture générale, uh, general knowledge, history, art. Mm-hmm. And and so North Americans, these kinds of things, they tend to view it a little bit elite. Uh, elitist, someone yeah. who would display too much general culture, would you would regard that person as elitist. And people who have a lot of general culture tend to hide it.
0: So that's not a socioeconomic thing. People of any class could be well-versed in
2: politics and uh, Mm -hmm. history and literature and so on. So they do welcome that. And for North Americans who have a lot of uh, culture along those lines... It's actually quite relaxing to be in Paris because you could just start talking about that and people will be immediately interested.
1: But the French come off as showing off a little bit because they like to display their knowledge, but it's really part of how they're raised. Our kids were in school the year we were researching this book and we saw how the education system really promotes it. Our daughters were asked to one day do a presentation on a, they're 10 years old, a French classic painter, you know, Mm. (laughs) so they had to go. And, you know, we got back to North America and the project was, you know, pick your favorite body part and talk about it. I mean, it's just radically different, but they're trained this way, and it's highly valued. It just can sort of set off foreigners who are expecting something more humble.
0: But I always think it's kind of like show and tell on Monday morning when you're in fourth grade. You're not better than somebody else. You just want to show them what you learned the other day or what you did or what you've got. Mm-hmm. And I think in France that, that stimulates the conversation. It's a delightful part about France.
1: It's something to talk about, and they like talking about stuff. So, you know, opinions and facts. They like lots of content in their conversation.
0: Our guests today on Travel with Rick Steves are Jean-Benoît Nedot and Julie Barlow. They're a husband-and-wife team of Canadian writers based in Montreal, and after a decade of living in France, they wrote up what they had discovered about the unwritten rules, beyond vocabulary, about speaking French in France rather than in Canada. Their book is The Bonjour Effect, and it helps us understand the subtext and what's expected when speaking in France. We have a link to their website with this week's show, and it's at ricksteves.com radio. Now, Julie and Jean-Benoît, you, I understand, translated your book, The Bonjour Effect, into French, and you just got back from a tour of France. What was it like as Canadian teachers and writers and French speakers going to France with a book that was supposed to explain how their language is different than in other cultures.
2: I was afraid a little bit that they would be a bit defensive, you know, Uh, but they were very warm to it, uh, to us. In fact, we did a lot of very long interviews, like 45, 50 minutes on radio, TV, newspapers, uh, and their reaction is one of curiosity. They are not necessarily conscious of what they project, And since our book is very honest in the sense that we take our perspective very clearly, our perspective as North Americans, they find it interesting because it gives them a perspective on North America.
0: They could learn about themselves too, I suppose. As well, indeed. Were they humble about that? Did they go, oh, that's... They
1: were surprised. We were in a journalism class one day and there was a student who got up in front of the class and said, you know, I I didn't really believe you about these things, particularly (laughs) about bonjour, you know, this word that you have to say all the time and we have a whole chapter about how how necessary it is to say bonjour. And he said, so I, I, I went and tested it, and I went into my my bookstore in my neighbourhood, and I didn't say bonjour and saw what would happen. And he said... <laughs> Indeed, no one talks to you if you don't start the conversation with bonjour. And he said, you know, I felt so uncomfortable. And he said, you know, you're right. We we have this word that we have to use to sort of unblock every kind of communication.
0: And they might not have realized that had they not had the exposure from somebody from far away. It's related to my (laughs) theory that you learn about your own culture when you leave it because you Mm. can look at it from afar and you can gain a perspective that other people have on us. and, And you might not even realize that when you're immersed in the middle of it. You mentioned in your Mm -hmm. book how the French, uh, they don't talk about money, uh, but sexual innuendo is no problem at all.
2: Yeah, they are not afraid of making a a comment to that effect. One of the reasons why the North Americans think that they are very uh, libertine is the fact that the place of women in that society has always been peculiar. French women have had civil rights a bit later than, than American women. But in fact, French women in society, in conversation, have had a stupendous place for centuries. So it's very interesting. French women worked a lot earlier in numbers. And so in France, the relationship between men and women was not something confined to the home. It was something that that was lived publicly for a long time.
1: Well, it's funny because at once you have a culture that, you know, to many North American women seems kind of sexist. Partly because the jokes about sex, are, are they make them easily in public. And, you know, it can be a little off-putting for, for a North American woman. At the same time, they have a society that's very, very well organized for women, for parents, but let's be honest, for women, with, you know, school that starts very early, guaranteed daycare, and a whole bunch of services in place that make it easy to work and have kids at the same time. And a larger proportion of women work outside of the home in France. And there's also the long history of French women being more part of the conversation in the culture. They participate as equals, and of course, in the conversation, the French aren't looking for consensus. So you don't have couples that are sort of together projecting one point of view. You know, have couples who are, you know, arguing in front of everybody. And so, you know, women have to sort of step up to the bat, I guess.
2: It's, it's interesting because socially, the place of women is, has been high for a long time, and French women, by law, retain their their birth name, on their Etat Civil, on their hmm. uh, official registry. But when uh, we went to get our um, resident card, Julie was surprised to see her name, Julie Barlow, wife Nadeau, épouse Nadeau. Ah. And uh, it's and very I interesting s- because a couple of years back, they, they made laws to forbid terms like mademoiselle and, and you know, because right. it was sexist. But on on the resident card, they have to have, they, they feel obliged to write Barlow, wife Nadeau. <laughs> mm. and I
1: argued with him I said I'm not you know I'm, I don't even have his name and they, they said oh well that's the way things are done you know, oh, so it's still okay. kind of sexist yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, so still there.
2: this is
0: Travel with Rick Steves we're talking about the French culture and the French language with Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoît Nadeau Julie and Jean-Benoît it's interesting when you study languages as you have that different languages have different fortes and different traits and they're able to give you an insight into the way that group of people think What can we derive from the French language that gives us an insight into the French mind?
2: It's interesting. Because of their education, the French in France have this attitude. They're very purists, so they're trained to have this idea that there's a a standard of French and there's a a very strong norm. And they they admire dictionaries. In conversation, they will hear a word that they don't know, and they'll sort of pick it up like a little butterfly, and they'll put a pin on it in, into their book. And they, they sort of collect words like that. It's very odd. They, they will stop a conversation to ask you about this word and what it means. And it's useful as a stranger, because if you want to change the topic of conversation, you just drop something you know they don't know, and immediately they'll go after that term. But, but at the same time, they are very creative with their language, even subversive. It's interesting, because... It's a kind of reaction to their idea of a very strong norm and the school. You know, they they will tend to jargon and use a lot of slang.
1: Right it, now, it, they're actually using a lot of English. Which yeah, is right now, yeah, yeah.
2: They, they use English right now to as a way of doing to, ne- add spice neology, to, fresh. to add spice. But yeah. the, for example, uh, in normal conversation, they will never say "j'ai froid." I'm cold. They will say Sakai. A Series of terms like this that that are not. Uh, school French at all. Okay. It's sort of a declaration of global
0: independence or something or to break away from the the norms? Yes, exactly.
1: The the rigidity of the language.
0: I remember a generation ago, businesses were actually given financial penalties if they used English words in their name or in in their advertising.
1: Mm -hmm, I mean, English is really quite popular. And, but the French import it and use it in a way to, to demonstrate their worldliness or their openness or their sophistication. It's interesting. Yeah. But they don't use it necessarily for what it means in English, which is really amusing.
2: For example, the, we one evening we were interviewed at uh, TV5Monde and they, they were talking about a program that involved Quebec and France. And it was a French program and they called it Startup. Star, S-T-A-R-T-O-P, top. Star it top. Actually, yeah, they translated
1: it, into two different words that had nothing to do with what they were talking uh, about. <laughs> in, in fact,
2: it's not even English. You actually have to translate what it means in English. So it
0: sounded English, I and mean, that was good enough if it just sounded English. It's false English. It's fake English. You know something very interesting in your book, The Story of French, was just digging into the history of this language, which is such an important language. I mean, it may not be spoken by the most people. I think it's number nine in the number of speakers. But according to your information it remains one of the top two or three most influential languages. How could that be? I mean, because, you know, a lot more people speak Mandarin or English or Spanish.
1: The contrast with Spanish is kind of interesting because there's twice as many Spanish speakers in the world. But it's spoken, Spanish is mainly spoken in the countries where it's spoken as a, as a mother tongue in the Spanish-speaking countries. French is spoken by many fewer, you know, half as many total French speakers, but they're spread over the entire world. And French is taught all over the world as well. It's still, you know, ranked second or third as an international language.
0: I believe my passport has English and French in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand the czar in Russia 120 years ago spoke better French than he spoke Russian, and he was proud of it. I mean, it, it really was the respected high culture language, the, the common mm-hmm. denominator among educated people and business people, I think.
2: But most of the rankings that we've studied, uh, one from the MIT, I mean, all of them come up with the same conclusion that amongst international languages, French is second, third, fourth, depending on how Mm -hmm. you calculate it. And it's because number of speakers is only one factor. In terms of coverage, for example, there's 29 to 32 countries that have French as an official language. Uh, That's a lot more than Spanish or Arabic or Portuguese or Russian.
0: Let's go back to the history. I mean, French is, you wrote, it was the most Germanic of the Latin languages. What is Germanic about French?
2: About 10% of of the vocabulary in French is of Frankish origin.
0: And Frankish would be a Germanic tribe?
2: Yes, exactly. Terms like guerre, the terms for shame, uh, honte, all these terms are, are of Germanic origin, not Latin at all. So the the mix was different, and also the the way French constituted itself from romance. Between Latin and French, there was an intermediate language called romance that existed, and that language had a strong influence of uh, Germanic in the way that people... uh, used the position of words in the sentence and all that. So if you delve deep
0: into French, you'd find more Germanic connections than you would in Italian or Spanish. Absolutely. In your book, you have three thresholds of the development of the language, Uh, the fall of Rome, the conquest of England by the Normans, and the rise of Paris as a center of power. Very briefly, Mm -hmm. can you walk us through why was that a big deal for the French language, the fall of Rome, the conquest of England, and the rise of Paris?
2: The fall of Rome, uh, I think, was a big deal for uh, all Romance languages in in Western Europe. It was a very slow collapse, in fact. What it did was um, explode Latin into a number of vernaculars, uh, some of which are still uh, practiced nowadays. There's still about 24 regional languages in France, like Occitan, Provençal is a variation of Occitan. Oh, okay. So when
0: Rome was together, when Rome was the center of civilization, it was all centralized, and Latin was strictly the official language. But when that falls, all of these pent-up local dialects can have a little more freedom to rise to the top?
2: Exactly. So French exploded that way.
0: Uh, How about the invasion of England by the Normans from Western France in 1066? What did that have to do with the French language?
2: Well, what it did is is the most visible example of how, not quite French, it's more proper to speak of romance, Mm -hmm. exported itself outside of its natural original domain, uh, which was Normandy, Champagne, Orléans, um, north of Picardy. French exported itself a long time ago as a global language.
1: And it, it implanted itself in English. You know, the ruling classes of English for centuries will be speaking French, so yeah. you know, you'll know you see that in the vocabulary of English now.
0: Because that was a turning point in Britain to have a strong central government, which happened because of the, the strength of the Normans who came in with their culture mm-hmm. and language in mm-hmm. the 11th century. And then, later on, we see Paris rising as the center of power, and that really sort of centralizes France around Paris.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened in, in the middle of that process is that French didn't exist, what was called François, which is the language of the Frank. Mm-hmm. literally means that. Uh, Frankish, uh, if you want to translate it in English. And in fact, it didn't exist. It was a kind of uh, scripta, a common language, between areas that spoke Norman, Orleanese, Champenois, and Picard. Yeah. And they sort of created a sort of middle language where they avoided the stuff that the others could not understand. This became the sort of middle language.
1: Like a lingua
2: franca. Like a lingua franca. I actually experimented the process because I went to Jersey Island, mm-hmm. where they still speak Norman. Hmm. And I spent uh, four days with people who spoke Norman, and I this is exactly what we did. I spoke mm-hmm. with my hmm. Canadian version of French, and they spoke with their Norman Romance language. And we sort of avoided very rapidly everything that the others could not understand.
0: You wrote in your book how after the revolution in the 1790s, of 28 million french people less than half of them spoke french well there was like 30 mm-hmm. dialects but then with the impetus of the revolutionary government centralizing things that was just the time when french became established as the powerful language of this powerful country.
1: Yes, and it's it's interesting. I mean, to go back to your earlier question about what language says about the French themselves, it's it's fundamental to understand that, you know, France up until World War One, even to a certain extent up until World War Two, is a very linguistically diverse country with a missionary education system trying to, hmm. you know, get rid of all the local languages, ah. dozens and dozens of them, and create this central... So language becomes, for the French really part of their national identity and the whole doctrine of assimilation that the french have very strongly which is very big contrast to the united states and to canada as well this doctrine of assimilation is also about language and about this history of you know from the revolutionary government on in fact before that hmm. centuries before that there are attempts to you know impose french and you know the french people really believe their their language is alive and creating a society
0: this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoît Nedot about the story of French and about their book, The Bonjour Effect. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Elinda's on the phone from Huntington Valley in Pennsylvania.
3: Bonjour.
4: I was going to talk about an experience I had when I traveled to Paris, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, before I went, I had spoken to the concierge at the Hotel asking for help in getting tickets for the opera and the ballet and and a few other things. And I would start off trying to speak French every time he would answer the phone. And then he'd say, No, you can speak English. But as soon as I arrived at the hotel and I started to speak English to him, because I recognized it was the same person I spoke with, he says, Oh, no, you're in France. You have to speak French. So I said, well, what if I don't know the word? He says, well, you can say, comment dit-on' and the English word, but other than that, you must speak French. So it was actually really quite fun. My accent was never very good when I studied French in college, but it obviously improved when you were speaking nothing but French. And mm-hmm. I got to the point where we had breakfast at the hotel, so I would speak to the servers in French. And at the table next to me were some people who were conversing with each other in English, and they asked me a question, very halting French, Uh. about something. So knowing that they were speaking English, I responded to them in English rather than in French, and their comment was, oh, your English is so good. Uh. (laughs) So I said, thank you. You know, I didn't want to embarrass them by saying (laughs) I'm an English speaker. Good for so, you,
0: Elinda. Um, that's a good example of uh, really connecting with the culture. What, what was the word that the the man told you, comment dit-on?
4: Comment dit-on? How does it said? Am I pronouncing ah. I may be pronouncing mm-hmm. it yep, wrong. That's good. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. You, you say it absolutely right. <laughs> well, those are good tips, Elinda. Thanks for your call. Oh,
4: you're welcome. Good to talk to you, and it was very interesting listening to your show. Thank Thanks. you.
0: Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bye. And William's calling in from Miami in Florida. Hi, William.
3: Hi, yeah, I like to go to France every other, you know, year or so and uh, I've been studying French for a few years. I'm in no way fluent, but uh, I, the French seem to find me impossible to understand well, you know, when I try to speak to them. in Leon last year I stopped the guy on the street and asked him, you know, the direction to the museum and then he said you know, excuse him, so I repeated it. Then he said in English, it kind of exasperated. He said, what are you trying to say to me? <laughs> I said, I'm going to ask you where the art museum is. He said, well, it's right, it's right down the street. I said, is my French that bad? He goes, no, no, it's fine. Then he ran off.
0: Oh, man. What is with that? Yeah, <laughs> Julian and Benoit, because uh, I've found the same thing. I, I, I do my best in my horrible French, and of course the French speak better English. So they just said, stop screwing around. Let's talk in English.
3: I was wondering if, if they appreciate uh, your attempt to try to speak French, or they would they prefer we just stick to English?
2: No, I think they do appreciate a lot. They uh,
1: they do, but they they have this culture of of correcting each other, right? Like, I think it's a they, cultural
0: thing. Yeah, and we shouldn't yeah, take person really we shouldn't it. take it no. personally. No.
1: No, never take it personally. I mean, it's just oh, I the didn't. They've they've always been nice. <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: but I I think they, they, William's they, question is good. Are they sort of um, put off by our butchering their language? But if we're well meaning, they respect it.
2: Yes, exactly, and they're they're glad and. Their idea is to show you a courtesy by answering in English. If you insist on uh, keeping speaking French, they will respect that. But that said, they ha- do have a culture of very good enunciation, and oh, they, yeah. they, they have a, an expression that is a bit odd and even awful. It's, it's when someone speaks very good French, they will say a français bien châtié well-chastised French, Whoa. which means, yeah, so they have this, this idea that, that you have to honor French by speaking it as best but as, you, as the possible. the funny
1: thing is they don't, that's not just for foreigners, that's for the French themselves. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they, they correct each other all the time. They correct us with our accent.
0: Well, I love that idea that they respect the language. And uh, your, mm-hmm. your comment earlier about a new word to be like a little butterfly. Let's grab it and pin it yes. to the wall and study it. And I do think that Americans have a, an accent that must grate against the French ear. I don't know. They must find it almost cartoonish American compared to the Queen's English in Britain.
3: I'm originally from Texas. That might be part of the problem. But a couple of years ago in Paris, I was trying to buy a ticket to Rance, and I ended up with a ticket to Rouen.
0: Well, that's a very hard city to pronounce. i got to spell that one. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Rance. It rhymes with France.
3: Then that's why I just had to take the ticket back. and said, look, we got to do this in English. I'm sorry.
0: R-E-I-M-S. How do you pronounce that, Jean Benoît? rinse, Yes, like a rinse. Rinse. All right. Hey, well, William, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye now. And Garen is calling from France. Hello.
5: Yeah, hi, Rick.
0: You're actually calling from France?
5: I am. I'm in Biarritz, France right now.
0: All right. Well, how are you doing in, uh, this is Basque country in France, right?
5: That's correct. Yeah, Uh, doing great.
0: All right. What's your thoughts about the language and uh, the discussion we're having?
5: Well, you know, as an American, we always hear about how kind of some of the things you guys are talking about, you know, how the French can be kind of cold, and a lot of people kind of debate, well, is that the Parisian thing, or is it French, and you know, if I try to speak, you know, one time I I pulled out the few words of French that I know, and they immediately switched to English, and they had this, you know, exasperated look on their face, and I felt dumb for even trying, and uh, I've always had good experiences in Paris, but here in the Basque country, and in Biarritz, where I live, people are so over-the-top friendly, and I live with my girlfriend here, and all the time we find ourselves telling each other, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth that the French are inhospitable or cold or anything. We just have every day the most amazing just kind of examples of bumping into people and, and hospitality and warmth, and people mm-hmm. just are so excited when you are making an effort to speak in French, and it's just been a pleasure get to speak French here.
0: But you're showing interest and respect to the local language and culture, and that probably wins people over. And if we can just not compare it to the United States and not try to tell the French how to do it, but just become temporary French people, I think life goes much better and we enjoy a lot warmer welcome.
5: Exactly. Also, it's kind of like a funny paradox where the French are so proud of their language. Almost 10 years ago now, I went to school in Po, which is about an hour from here, Mm -hmm. and I studied in the language program and it kind of was a dual-purpose language program where foreigners learned French, and then the local kids learned how to become French teachers. And it was really interesting kind of seeing from the inside that there really are a lot of people who are very passionate about the language, you know. It used to be true that French was spoken all over the world, and it's a little bit less so now. And they were just, they were kind of evangelists, you know, that they were passionate about going out there and kind of helping bolster the language again. And even if you butcher the language and if you speak it terribly, almost in kind of like a self Uh, you know, aggrandizing way, they say, oh, well, the thing is, French is so hard. It's a really complicated language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. It's almost impossible for foreigners to learn. Mm -hmm. So they almost like extend that olive branch where, you know, they kind of get to pat themselves on the back, but then throw you a life raft at the same time. Uh, So then you just kind of agree with them and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really hard, but it's so beautiful, so it's worth the effort, and I'm really enjoying it. And then everybody kind of lights up and it works out in your favor.
0: All right. Well, Garen, thanks so much, and uh, happy travels and stay in touch.
5: Thank you very much. Take care.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean-Penoît Nadeau. Their books are The Bonjour Effect and The Story of French. Julie and jean Benoit it's been so not only interesting but educational for me to be able to talk with you about both the language and the culture of France. Now, clearly, you have a joy of speaking French. Can you just sum up our conversation, sharing for you what's the joy of speaking French?
1: For me, the joy, I mean... I was handicapped a little, feeling it, when I began living in France, by the feeling that my French wasn't perfect. And then I realized that the, the real pleasure of it is just jumping into conversations. You can say anything to the French, and they'll come back with something. You don't have to beat around the bush or worry about polite things. And I think that the real challenge to overcome in France is this love of confrontation, of clashing opinions. For me, that's the fun. I feel like a, you just—it's a sport. It's a game.
2: There's the joy of speaking French, and there's the joy of speaking the French way, which is (laughs) not quite the same thing. All right.
0: Julie and Jean-Benoît, merci and au revoir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Au revoir.
4: Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.